it starts with, the, it st- shows how the kingdom of God started with just a, a handful of uh, terrified and confused believers after the resurrection, and then saw the kingdom of God, how it's grown into becoming, uh, covering the, the entire known world. It's a pretty awesome book. And the uh, history of the church. And, I, and traditionally it was called Acts of the Apostles. I think it should be called Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? Because God's Holy Spirit is doing some amazing thing in this book. So in, in part one, we began with uh, a series that started with how it started um, in Jerusalem, how the church started in this town, Jerusalem, that would, had killed Jesus just a month earlier, and how it began to grow from there. One of the greatest evidences that our faith is real and, and God is behind it, because that's the least likely city in the world that the church should have grown in was Jerusalem, especially a month after they had just killed Jesus. You don't get more anti-Christian than killing Jesus. So we started there, and we saw how the, the gospel grew from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. That was the entire Jewish area, the control area of that part of the world, and the gospel had penetrated into that. We ended that in chapter 9, where we see there's this man named Paul. Well, he was called Saul. He was a great, uh, uh, highly respected Jewish teacher-leader, uh, that uh, was also a great persecutor of the church. And we see how he goes from being a hater of Jesus, a persecutor of the church, and transformed, have this, this amazing experience with Jesus where he becomes one of the greatest evangelists of the church of all time. That's a pretty big transformation, right? And so you see how we saw how God doesn't just have his kingdom come on earth through uh, geographical means, but that God transforms not just culture, but he transforms people. That even the hardest, most difficult person that God can transform. That's how we started that one. Then we took a little break. We did a couple other uh, series. And then now we came back to this Acts Part 2, the March of the Kingdom. Not just because it was March, but that part of it. But also from Judea and Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. How it begins and the gospel now starts to, to include crazy things like Gentiles and, and outside of the Jewish area, how the faith continues to grow. And so the first, uh, so the five uh, chapters we've been going through, have each cha- week we've gone through a chapter to see how the kingdom of God continues to expand. And today we bring this to an end with the very end of the first missionary journey that Paul did. Before we get to that, though, let's go our memory verse for the series is Matthew twenty eighteen through 20, a verse that every single Christian should have memorized. Right, Because this is our marching orders from Jesus. This is what he told us to do. It's all about this. Right, This is the reason you weren't zapped to heaven the moment you said to Jesus, us. And he told us exactly what he wants from us, and this is what it is. Now everything else kind of fits into that. But if we don't know what the mission is, then we're not going to be on mission. Spend some time with this mission. It is your mission. It is our mission. And it frames really what we're doing to make sure that we're on track. All right, so let's get into that mission. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. If you have one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 769. If you forgot your Bible today or you need a Bible, don't worry about it. We've got plenty. They're back there by the sound booth. Uh, please use one of those. And if you need a Bible, just keep it. It'll be our gift to you. There you go. So uh, last week, as I mentioned before, we started Paul's missionary journey, first missionary journey in just a second, you see how the mission began. This morning, we're going to finish this series uh, uh, and this trip, really, with a message talking about how the kingdom of God doesn't just go. Last week, we talked about how the kingdom of God goes into the world, but also today, we're going to talk about how it grows, because there's a difference between going and growing, right? right? There's a difference between the kingdom of God could just go out, have gone out into the world and just fallen flat on its face, which rationally, it probably should have. 
right? You have two Jewish guys going to a, a, these, this area of the world that was very Greek, very Gentile, going to them and saying, hey, there's a Jewish Messiah that has come to save you. And most people probably would be like, you're nuts. Why should I care? But the kingdom of God doesn't just penetrate into the darkness. It grows and it overcomes the darkness. And we see how that happens today. So we begin with, here's the map. We're going to start in Iconium, right? And the reason we're there is uh, last week we followed the red arrows, right? They started in Antioch. They went to Cyprus, right? From Cyprus, they went to Perga. From Perga, that's where we lost John Mark there. He went home. They went to a city in Antioch. And uh, at city of Antioch, remember that the, they were doing really well. They showed up at the city. They went to the synagogue. The, the, the sermon is recorded for us. So you know what Paul was preaching. It was there and a great gospel message about what, how God could change. And you know what? At first, everybody, like, they were so amazed by this. They received it really well. The Jewish leaders, the Gentiles loved it a little too much. And so the next week that they were there... Uh, the synagogue was packed to the gills, and there was too many Gentiles for the Jewish uh, folks there to be comfortable, and so they got jealous, and so they resisted Paul and Barnabas, and so the leaders there who were jealous, they got some Gentile women who had a lot of money and authority and a lot of power uh, to, to go against Paul and Barnabas and make their lives very, very frustrating and make it very, very dangerous for them to be in the city, and so they left, and they went to Iconium. That's where we pick up the story. Right? And so from Iconium, you see now they're going to go down to these last couple towns on this. Now, in Iconium, they show up and they start to preach the gospel, but some folks who uh, were pulling them down and made their life difficult and said, uh, these guys don't listen to them. Right? And so they go there and they found that it was just difficult. They, they, they made a few converts, they, made a, they preached the gospel, they did that well, uh, but they couldn't stay there. The point is, though, is that they preached the gospel. Right? In fact, from verse 1 through verse 20, as you go through it, you're going to notice over and over again that Paul and, and Barnabas, the business that they're up to, is they went to the cities, and I want you to see this, uh, verse, uh, four, verse 1 in chapter 14, it says, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that great numbers of Jews and Greeks believed. That's what they were doing. Right? They weren't going and setting up shop first. They weren't going and doing their own things, taking care of themselves. It's just as usual. When they got there, the first thing they did is they went to the synagogue. Why? Because it made sense first for the Jews to understand. It was their Messiah, right? And they would preach the gospel, but they wouldn't stop. Right? It was the first thing that they, that the, to plant a church, that the church went, the first thing that happened is they had to be dedicated to preaching the gospel. Well, of course, they run into trouble with Iconium. Uh, they go and preach the gospel. At first, a lot of people receive it, but the trouble happens, so then they go down. The next place that they go to is this little town south of it, Lystra. And at Lystra, some weird things take place. They show up, and uh, there was priests there in that town They had a, uh, that were uh, the, the priests of Zeus, and because they believed in, in uh, pagan gods back then, the, um, the, pan, uh, the pantheon, the Roman pantheon, and so the priest of Zeus was there, and what happened was is there was this guy who was lame. He couldn't walk, and uh, Paul and Barnabas show up, and they heal him. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he gets up and he walks, and so here's this amazing miracle. Now, the thing, miracles are, are done for a purpose. There's a reason for them. Miracles point to the power of God, the reality that he's there, that, he's, that it's his kingdom, his dominion. And what happened was is they preached, and this guy uh, receives it, and he was healed, 
And the people, uh, the prophet of uh, the priests of Zeus was like, well, this is clearly you are Zeus. If you can heal somebody, you are a god. They just misunderstood. And, and in fact, and I think this is funny, it's like a, uh, that I think they, Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul is Hermes because he's going to be the one that speaks, and I think that's hilarious. So anyway, um, they start, they're going to do this uh, religious ceremony for them because they figure the gods have come off the mountain. And, and Paul and Barnabas the whole time are like, no, 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 don't do any sacrifices for us. We are not gods, anything like that, right? And they're trying to point to God. Well, then you have some folks that have followed them all the way from city Antioch, the Perga, uh, from Iconium, I'm uh, sorry, and uh, they follow them all the way down there and they make trouble for them and they turn the crowd against Paul and Barnabas. And it's amazing how you can't trust crowds, right? The crowd was like, we worship you. And then all of a sudden they're like, we hate you. We're going to kill you. If you're not Zeus, then you should die. And they're like, do you remember that we just had a guy healed? Right? But it didn't matter. So they reject them and they throw rocks at Paul and Barnabas. Thorough. And then the whole town's like, well, we killed them. That was a fun day. We killed Zeus, who we thought was Zeus, but we were wrong. Egg on our face. And then they go back to their town. And then you have Paul gets up. And uh, this church kind of nurses back a little bit to help. And they bring him. He goes to the next place as they go to this other town called Derby. And at Derby, uh, they begin to help. Uh, they preach the gospel again. That's what they do. They go into town. They meet the synagogue. They start making disciples again. And uh, they start to help the church grow. And in Derby, they spend some time there because they don't have the same kind of resistance. The, uh, they help then do the next thing, which is after they go, uh, the next phase of this is then they establish churches. So they start establishing churches in Derby, but then they go back, those black lines, and look exactly where they go to. They go right back to the towns where people tried to kill them. Why would they do that? They already preached the gospel in these towns. Did you see that? You would think, guys, you could go anywhere. There's a lot of yellow, orangey color on that map. You could go anywhere you wanted. Why would you go back to the very places where you were rejected and they tried to kill you? And in one case, they threw rocks at you till they thought you were dead. That's, that's thoroughly rejected. Why would you go back? Here's the thing. Do you remember the Great Commission? Oh, please say yes, because we've been spending five weeks, right? You go to all nations. Yeah, got that. Check. Baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Done that. There's believers now in these cities. Check. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Oh. You know, you can't just do that by just bringing somebody to faith. Right? That's why the church isn't called to, to be converts that make converts. And see, the work wasn't done. The church wasn't ready yet. And think about when somebody comes to faith. Jesus says you are born again. I love that picture. You're born again. Right, a whole new life, everything fresh. You have new identity, new family, all that kind of stuff. But you are a spiritual infant. Think about infants. Infants are not born to be abandoned. If they do, they die. It is not loving to bring a child into the world and then just set it aside. You see, there is something more than just coming into the faith. And think about infants. The infants are, are amazing. They're a gift, but they are needy little selfish bundles of, of just of work. Right? I mean, when, when there's an infant there, it's only thinking about itself. It's like, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm hungry. Feed me. 
You're like, dude, I'd want to sleep. Infant doesn't care. Infant's like, take care of me. I have needs. And you know what? That's the right good way, isn't it? I mean, infants are supposed to be selfish. Infants are supposed to be cared for. Infants are supposed to be nurtured so they can discover that they are loved. And they find their place, but infants are also supposed to grow. Paul and Barnabas had gone and made a lot of converts. But the kingdom of God doesn't just go, it grows, which means that there had to be something there to help the church grow. The people, these young Christians grow, and it's called the church. And so Paul goes back to these cities at great personal risk because of his love for the believers. And he establishes the church. He helps the church them to come so they can grow, and that's what the church is supposed to do. The churches are families, aren't they? In Scripture, that's what we're called, brothers and sisters in Christ, almost more than anything else. Uh, think about that the church was God's idea. It was His, his plan. And we, we see that, uh, that churches were, were developed and designed by God as places where believers could come together and find connection and support and care, but also that we can be a family, that we can love one another, that we can help each other grow up in faith, so we can learn to follow Christ in every single thing together. Paul went back because the church, the, the young Christians needed a family. And so they went back and they established the churches. How did they do that? Well, we read Timothy and Titus. You see how Paul established churches. He talks to them. There's a way that, that God's designed for churches to grow. Church is God's idea, not people's. If you're a believer in faith, you belong to the family. And church is the, is the meeting of the family. We get together. There's a structure to it. Just like in Scripture, there's a structure to the, to the uh, family in a home. There's a structure to the church. Right, that there are there is elders and, and there are deacons and, and, and there are and deaconesses and, and there are ministers and amongst the body. There's a role for all of us, there's a place that we play that, that we are able to work together. In fact, as he established churches, that, that we find that he's establishing appointing elders in verses twenty one through twenty four, actually, in there, you'll see that this is what they were doing as they went back to these towns. They were establishing elders. Why? Well, the first thing that you're going to need for a healthy family are good, healthy parents, right? And that's really, I think, is why we find, like, in the church, there's, there's this tie between a healthy family and a healthy church. They, 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 you have to demonstrate your worthiness in your own home. If you see men in, in, that, in their own homes, they are lousy fathers. Man, their kids hate them, right? They're doing selfish things. They're horrible husbands. They're choosing themselves above their wife, above their kids, if they're not regularly, actively, predictably laying themselves down for the good of their family, then they're clearly going to do the same thing if they're put in charge of the church. And so God says it's a very similar role. If they lack the wisdom to help their family grow, why would we trust the church family to them? If, If they lack the love to sacrifice themselves for the good of those that they're charged over, why would we trust the church to them? Right? If they cannot be counted on to provide and protect their own home, why would we trust God's home with them? And so the church was given and says, we want to see these men of character, these men of humility, these men of wisdom, these men of faith that demonstrate that they are loving their own homes, their own families. And we will raise these type of men up. We will teach them how to follow Christ and to, to live sacrificially. 
Those are the type of, of men that we will allow and entrust to lead the body of Christ, the family of faith. That takes time. It takes a lot of effort. And so Paul and Barnabas, they went into these cities and they spent the time and the effort because they were raising up the church so the church could be equipped and empowered to do the church what it was called to do. The churches are established. In fact, there is no church growth if church isn't established. I think sometimes we think this idea that I'm just going to present the gospel out into the ether, right? And people are going to walk along and the seed of the gospel is going to hit them. Boom! And all of a sudden they're like, oh, I need Jesus, right? And we have enough of that, we'll have revival. That's not how it works. If somebody comes to faith, they need a home, a family to grow in. We have to give young believers a place to be immature so they can grow to maturity. We have to give them a safe place to work out all that difficult stuff, to go through those teen years in the faith where you resist God, but you still love Him, right? We have to give them a place where now they start to have opportunity to serve other people, to care for the family. Churches were established. Then, after that, the faith is multiplied. Right After the churches are established, what happens? Once Paul and Barnabas establish a church in one town, they ask, what do they do? They have a healthy church, not a perfect church, a healthy church. They go to the next town. They go back to the very teeth of the lion that tried to kill them in the last place. And they go and establish a church there. But you know what Paul and Barnabas did not do? They didn't teach every single person in that entire region how to follow Jesus perfectly because they themselves were still growing in that. They didn't go into this entire region and, and preach the gospel to every single person. No, they brought churches. And as the churches were healthy and the churches discipled each other, those churches began to evangelize that entire part of the world. Pretty cool. And that's how the church grows. That's an amazing thing. In fact, we find that as, as you have disciples of Jesus building disciples of Jesus, that not only is that so effective in that it, the church begins to grow, but it becomes more and more healthy. The churches are families, right? We've established this as what God calls us. In fact, he would call himself the Heavenly Father. I think it's amazing how many times in, in Scripture that he uses family language for our relationship. That uh, the church is a family. There are healthy families and there's unhealthy families, Right? And so there are healthy churches and there are unhealthy churches. And I think sometimes because there's unhealthy churches, some of us may have been part of an unhealthy church at some point in time, and we've been wounded by an unhealthy church. It's dysfunctional. And we say, well, if that church was unhealthy, then church must be unhealthy. Right? That's what we do. And when we do that, we reject something amazing that God has given us. And then where, how do we grow? That's the work of the devil, and he's very effective at it. Here's the thing. There are unhealthy families, but just because they're unhealthy families, we don't say, well, all families are bad. There's a movement right now in the United States that's trying to say that. It's a great peril of people. Families are good. God's idea. Churches are good. God's idea. Now, the amazing thing about the church is that you get to choose to be in a healthy family. That's pretty awesome. But it's also our responsibility to make sure this is a healthy family. We pray for one another, we care for one another, we serve one another, we do the healthy family things. Just as there's healthy families, there's also no perfect families. Have you noticed? There are some families that look perfect until you get to know them. 
right? But you go over to their house and you spend enough time with somebody and you're like, whoa, <laughs> not perfect. There are no perfect churches. But there are healthy churches. And this is where the church grows from. As we have healthy churches and his disciples grow in disciples, then what happens is they begin to minister after he does this missionary journey. He's writing to Rome. The gospel had reached Rome ahead of Paul, which I think is so cool. The church there was growing, was doing some really cool stuff. And Paul writes and says, I want you to understand the doctrine. That's why we have the book of Romans, that God's the Holy Spirit gives us great Christian doctrine. It's like having an apostle in your pocket, right? Right there. And he writes to, to Rome and he tells them about this area. He's like, here's a reason I don't have to stop there. And he says in Romans 10 or Romans 15, he says, uh, that area is thoroughly evangelized. Isn't that amazing? In 10 years, t- killing Christian culture. And in 10 years later, Paul can say that area, the gospel has reached it. I don't have to go back. Because the church, that's how church growth works. You know, it's amazing to me. We've been here in Estes Park, our church, for 22 years here in Estes Park, right? It's a little smaller. We can reach this place. That's what we're called to do. All right. So what do we, how do we apply this? So how does the kingdom go, right? If we take this, what are the lessons we get from this? First thing is the kingdom, how does the kingdom grow? The kingdom grows first when the gospel is preached. That's where it begins. If you're not starting with the gospel, you're not building God's kingdom. You're building your own brand of whatever it is. It starts with the gospel. We make disciples of Jesus, not disciples of ourselves, right? It is the kingdom that matters. It is God's message, not ours. What is the gospel? Well, it starts with this. It's about Jesus, not us. Not about me. About him. And when we are are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And as we follow him, as we trust him. He transforms us from the inside out so we become a blessing to the world. That's good news. That's the gospel. It has nothing to do with you and me being perfect or worthy or anything else. It starts with the gospel. The people can be saved and reconciled back to a loving and powerful God. Church growth. The church grows when we start and stand fast on the gospel. It is the only message that saves. Even Paul writes this in Romans chapter 1. He starts there. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jews, then the Gentile. For us in our culture, just like when Paul's day, there is resistance to that, isn't there? There are times that fortunately in our culture, people don't throw physical rocks very much, but they throw emotional ones. They throw legal ones. Cannot be ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is offensive in the fact that it's not. But that's why Jesus said those people who tried to just live their own life, what if they gain the whole world? What is tragedy? They still lose their soul. It has to begin with it's not about me. I'm the one that got me into this mess. It's about Jesus. That's why it's offensive. The other part's amazing. I'm saved by God's grace. I didn't work. I didn't earn it. Through faith. Not by works, so I don't have to boast. I don't have to be the more prideful people in heaven. Right? And, and that faith is, is, yes, it has ways that we practice it, these outworkings that Scripture tells us to do. It says to believe, to repent, to confess, to be baptized, to be discipled, all these acts of faith, right? But I'm not saved by any of them. I'm saved by God's grace through faith. And all of those are very important ways that God says, you need to demonstrate that faith, to live it out. 
Make that faith known so you know that it's not just a wishful thought. It's real. But God is the one that transforms us and saves us. Belief has never saved anybody, has it? I can believe anything I want to. God is the one that has to save me. That's the crazy cool thing about this. That's the power of the gospel to transform people. It's not that we have the best argument, and we do have the best argument. But it's not that what saves people. It's not that we have the best way of living. We do have the best way of living because it came from God and it actually works. But that's not what saves people. That's not what transforms people. It is the power of God. The gospel begins. It begins the moment that we recognize that we need good news. And the gospel transforms anybody who believes. It is the power of God. This is where church growth begins. Anything other than that, if we preach another message other than the gospel, if we stand on anything other than God is going to win this culture because we're so good or we have the right programs or we're so smart or, man, our pastor, man, he's got a great mustache and that's why, none of that is going to build the kingdom, the gospel. We have to be committed to it. And there's going to be opposition to it. There will be suffering. Paul and Barnabas had to face it, but guess what? The gospel overcomes all of that, doesn't it? gospel grows. After the gospel grows, we recognize that we have to, churches are established. It's not about getting people out of hell. That's not enough. And when we had our wonderful son, my wife and I didn't want to have a baby. We want to, to have a son, a, a member of the family. Some he would grow strong and, and intelligent and capable. Someday he'll be an adult himself. The birth was the least fun part right? I mean, it was weird, and it was messy, and he was needy, but the best part was yet to come. What a shame is it when the church, when we bring people to faith and then abandon them? We miss out on the best. We have the celebration. It's birthday. You get a lot of those. And we get to celebrate when those spiritual babies start to walk on their own and eat on their own and, and speak on their own and do all kinds of crazy cool stuff on their own when they surpass us in their abilities. We celebrate. That's the joy. That happens in the church family. Churches are established. The church grows when churches are established, not when churches are just built or there's a 501c3 file, but when a church begins to really come together as a family operate well and the church becomes established. Then, then we find the faith is multiplied. How many of us in our lives have prayed for revival? Well, we do. We pray for revival all the time. We pray for our nation. Come back to God. The people have faith. They'll come back to God. They'll do all these amazing things. That we would see a turn in the heart of our culture back to God. And we pray for that. We pray that the faith is multiplied. Well, there's a method to it. It doesn't just happen. We start with preaching the gospel, and then through the church, we establish the church. That's how faith is multiplied. We see disciples of Jesus building disciples of Jesus, and then going out in the world and loving people that are hard to love. That's how it works. That's how faith is multiplied. And that's where we see what we've been asking God for for so long. This is God's strategy for church growth how it is. Here coming at Easter time, we're going to talk about how we're going to implement our strategy to implement this. Our role and how we make this part of Estes Park here. But I'll tell you, it's not, it's not rocket science, but it's hard work. 
So how do I do this? How do I apply this truth to how God's kingdom grows here in my life in Estes Park? Well, the first thing we're going to do is got to commit to gospel growth. Gospel growth, not Christian church growth. I think that's a byproduct. Gospel growth. Are we seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Are we seeing that? Do they get the message? It's not about them. That there's a life that's so much bigger, more important, that they are loved so much more than they could ever possibly imagine. But it's not about them. It's not the weight of the world on their shoulders. God has taken that weight. That salvation comes by grace through faith, not by works. But that faith is in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Salvation happens not when I do the right things, but when I learn to follow Christ faithfully. That's where it happens. Growth. Commit to it. That we have so many gimmicks out there, so many things that tell us, do this, live this certain way, and your life will be better. Follow Jesus faithfully. One step closer to Jesus today. Can you do that? Can you do that? It doesn't mean that your life will get easier. In fact, Jesus says that sometimes it's going to get harder, but it will be better. It'll be better spent. You will find purpose and power in the midst of this, the hope that you have in that kind of life surpasses anything you can get in this world. Jesus said, you lay down what you thought you want in your life, and you take on his life, and you're going to find real life, an abundant life, a powerful life, a purposeful life, a life filled with joy. Commit to gospel growth. That's the first thing that you can do. How do we do that? You have to know the gospel message yourself. The, thing, it's a, the gospel message is a message that leads to salvation. Right? You have to know that yourself. How can you make a disciple of Jesus if you yourself are not one? We have to begin there. That God loves you enough. Recognize that God loves you enough. He doesn't want you to pass that step up. It's for God, he's more concerned about who you're becoming than what you do. So much more concerned about who you're becoming than what you do for him. Be his child. Start there. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us faith is expressed by belief, trusting God even when we have doubts, because all of us have doubts, but say, I'm going to trust that it's true, that he saves me. Confession, I'm going to identify with him. I'm going to be his follower. Even when I, I go through difficult times, even in the midst of temptation, I'm going I'm to stand with him. It's going to say that I'm going to repent. I'm going to learn to follow him better and better. through my, Not perfectly, but just better and better. I'm going to follow his ways, not mine. Repent. Baptism, being uh, willing to, to say, stand with God in that act of faith in water and to be submerged in saying, I'm dying to myself, my old way of life, and being raised into a new life. I'm part of this community now. I'm part of this family now. I'm being discipled. Allowing a church family to come around you and be a safe place for you to grow up and commit to the message, be of salvation, but also accept the gospel life. Don't be born in royalty and accept the life of a, of a pauper. Don't do it. Right? Why be born again into the, ki- into the king's family and still live like you were on the outside? So I'm going to have to relearn how to do things. The process we call sanctification, that means becoming a saint, which saint, saint means somebody who's holy, different than this world, something so much better. And then share the gospel truth. That's committing to the gospel. Say, I myself have testimony because I myself have been transformed. I'm going to share it. Commit to it. Second thing we want to do is establish in the church. The church has already been established here. There's already been Paul's and Barnabas's and Estes. That's why our church is here. There's other churches in the community as well. We don't have to plant another church. There's plenty of churches in Estes to reach the community. So establish in the church. Be part of the church. 
How do you do that? Be present, right? That's part of it. Your body's incomplete if all your parts don't show up, right? If your elbow decided not to show up someday, you think you'd notice. Big deal. Be here. You matter. That's why in Hebrews, when the Hebrew church was being persecuted to the point of death just for meeting together, it says don't neglect the habit of meeting together, as some people uh, do, right? I mean, even the point of persecution unto death, it says God says this is important to be here. Be active. Be a healthy part of the body, right? If you've ever had a, a, uh, like a, a bad appendix, you'll understand what it's like when a part of your body decides not to do what it's supposed to do. It causes pain to the whole body. You want to be active. You want to be part of the body. It says you are part of the body. You have work to do. Connect in it. So the last one is to be invested. That's why God gives us those points, those objective points of worship, time, our talent, our treasure, all of those, investing in the body, the health of the body, that we're giving into this as much as we are also receiving. And so the whole body is healthy and growing and filled with love. So commit to establishing in the church. Third thing, the last thing that we want to do is commit to multiplying the faith. Multiply it. Right? Be a disciple of Jesus that builds a disciple of Jesus. Yes, you have to start by being a disciple of Jesus. You can't multiply by zero. It doesn't work very good. But as one, it's amazing how God will bring you addition and then multiplication. God does some amazing stuff, but you have to say, I'm willing, Lord, to pour into other Christians. I'm willing to share my faith with those who don't know him. I'm willing to love those who don't love me back. I'm willing to pray for even those who persecute me. I'm willing to go into the darkness and, and to care for somebody who lives in that darkness, even though, in my estimation, they're unworthy because God went in the darkness and got me when I was unworthy. And I'm willing to forgive those who don't deserve my forgiveness because God forgave me and I didn't deserve it. And I'm willing to love those who hate me because God loved me even while I hated him. We go and we multiply, commit to it. It's not easy, but the church of God is, is designed for that. We are the missionaries of Estes Park. So let us be the missionaries. And so be disciples to build disciples. Support the work of the church. Encourage other believers, family. This is what we do. It's not hard. Commit to the gospel. Establish a church. Multiply the faith. Be disciples that build disciples. The church can grow here. The church can grow anywhere, right? And this is how it happens. So now to bring this series to the close, how do you apply that? How do you put application into your life? I have some questions or some um, observations or what do I call those? Suggestions. That's the word, suggestions, on the back. First, there were questions that said, God, what should our people do? Then there were observations. I wrote them down. I said, I think that's what they should do. Now they can be my suggestion for you. Some things that you can do. Next steps. It's just next steps. It's not a giant, mighty leap. And faithfulness, just a next step of faithfulness. This week, could you commit to memorizing the Great Commission? If you don't have that, could you commit to saying, God, I want to know what you want in my life? How about this? Can you read Acts chapter 14? You'll notice today, I didn't read a lot of the text. You know, most Sundays I read a lot of the Bible. There's a reason I didn't this week. It's a story, and I want you to read it. There's some really fascinating points. I, I summarized it. But you need to go into God's Word this week and find out what it says. Because what God did in that part of the world in the first century, he's doing here in Estes Park right now. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to see how God builds his church. Read it. How about this? Pray for three people until Easter. Can you do that? Commit to it. We're not changing people. God is changing people. Pray for hearts to be receptive for the gospel. Pray for me. I already have my sermon written, and I'm praying over it. can still all that kind of stuff, but it... I'm going to be sharing the great news of who Jesus is. 
and, and uh, I'm so excited about it, but my words will not penetrate hearts. I do not save anybody, but God does. Can you pray for three? Three people you know that need to know Jesus, that need a church. Can you pray for them? Ask that God will prepare their hearts to receive this. Ask for opportunities to invite them. Ask for courage and words and timing, right? Pray for three from now until Easter. Can you do that? There's another one that says open. I want you to think about maybe there's something else the Holy Spirit is calling you to do. A suggestion might be if you're not part of the church, you're not a member. You've been here for a couple months. You've heard messages, all that kind of stuff. You want to know what the church is about. How do you connect and establish here? I invite you. Join me this Tuesday right here, 530 to 830, and we'll, we'll help you connect. That's what we'll do. And so if you want to do that, let me know because I, I need to know that because I have materials I want to print out for you. So that way we are ready for you. But maybe there's that or something else. Write that down. As well as beyond your prayer requests, this is your opportunity. Write those as well. It is my joy and privilege and wonderful responsibility to God that I get to lift you and support you in prayer. Tell me how to do that. Worship team comes out. I'm going to invite you to take your connection card if you've completed it. And uh, as the baskets are passed, drop that in the offering basket along with your tithes, your gifts, and any fifth Sunday offering that you might want to give. Put that in the basket as it's passed. Before we do, can we pray over these? Let's do that. Father God, you are an amazing, powerful, good, worthy God. And we, uh, Lord, I know every Sunday when I preach, I feel so unworthy, unprepared compared to what uh, I know the task is. But you make us worthy too. You have set us into your kingdom. You have purified our hearts and you continue to do that. And you've called us your ambassadors. You've called us your ministers. Lord, you've called us to great and high and mighty positions. Lord, help us, this church, live up to that which you've, which you've already given us, which we've already attained. God, I pray in this that your Holy Spirit would be with each of these members this week. These beautiful brothers and sisters of mine, as they go and as they testify of your good works in this community. Help us as a congregation to be committed, Lord, committed to the gospel. And Father, God, I help you to, to commit to establishing this church and helping it grow. Father, I pray you help us to commit to then seeing your kingdom grow in us and through us. Father, these commitments we've made today on our connection cards and beyond, help us to keep them, not in some legalistic sense, but Father, in a way that helps us to, to bring your kingdom into our life, that your will be done even here in our life and this earth, just as it is in heaven. And God, we pray for our tithes and our gifts and our fifth Sunday com- uh, offerings and all of that. Father, we bring these to you, Lord, not out of obligation, but out of joy, out of acts of our worship. Please use them, multiply them, build your kingdom for your glory with them and through them. And we pray all of this in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.